welcome to the 10th episode of the Elite Prospects podcast with J.D. Burke. That would be me, the editor-in-chief of Elite Prospects and Elite Prospects Rinkside, where we are now covering the NHL, in case you hadn't heard. And joining me, of course, is Director of Scouting for TSN, uh, somebody who's been in the game a long time and, of course, as such, has a, a hell of a relationship with our guest on today's show as well, who <laughs> would be Hakan Anderson. And I'm, of course, talking about Craig Button, who is always my co-host, but I uh, figured I'd give him the, the 10 bell introduction anyway craig how are you hanging in there no i'm, I'm hanging in well you know uh it, it's interesting when you talk about relationships and certainly with hawk uh who he's known by uh, the, the the moniker of hawk he, who he's known by you know uh, you know there's lots of lots of things that uh we'll get into and talk about and my history uh with him is uh 30 years over 30 years and wow obviously his uh it, it, he's a special guy He's an outstanding, outstanding evaluator talent. And uh, I think that everybody's going to uh, really enjoy hearing what he has to say because those experiences are not only deep and wide, they're also exceptionally successful. Oh, yeah. And, and just like, just like culturally rich too do you know what i mean like that story about him going to uh to russia i think is just going to kill our audience i mean i personally was just like loving every second of that and, and just hearing about ken holland getting such a kick out of being handed these russian buns and sitting on snowbanks or whatever it's it's just it's so cool it's so cool and i was so envious hearing that story i was like I want to see all the world. I want to do these things. And I, I suppose I just got to play a little bit of catch up to Hakan. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. You talked about what, what a respected person he is in the hockey world. And it's so easy to see why Craig, I mean, I'm as I kind of get into the scouting side of, of this industry and I show up to ranks and I make contacts and I make friends and all this stuff. Right. And you get people's numbers. You, you know what? Like I, I'm a pretty shy dude and nobody will believe this, but I'm a pretty shy dude at the best of times. But like when you, you're talking to a scout of the stature of, of Hakan Anderson, right? Like I, Craig, I got his number. Uh, and, and this was for an article I was going to write and I'm saying to myself, like, oh, I got to be on my best behavior here. Oh boy. This is a guy who drafted, uh, Datsuk and Zetterberg and on and on and on. So I'm like practically getting anxious. Like I'm going to talk to Con Anderson. That's pretty damn cool. I call him Craig. And do you want to know how he greets me? First time he's ever picked up one of my phone calls. Greetings from Sweden. And I just, I just started howling. So I was like, wait a second, wait a second. Like this, this hockey man, this, this guy who is like totally partially at the very least responsible for all the success that the Detroit Red Wings have had. And he's greeting me like playing up the Swedish Bork Bork angle. <laughs> he's just like laying it on so thick. Greetings from Sweden. It just killed me, Craig. It just totally killed me. And it was such a, a an interesting portal into the person he is because on the one hand, he is like this, uh, you know, very respected, trusted, revered scout in the industry who's done so much uh, to shape the complexion of the Detroit Red Wings for the last 30 years. And when you think about NHL success, well, before 2015, you thought about the Detroit Red Wings. And and then also he's got this this humanity to him, right? And you, you hear that he, he wanted to be a fisher. I think it was as well. He said during our interview, right, Craig, he wanted to do uh, fishing expeditions. And well, he was a guide. He was a fishing a guide. guide. That's right. That's right. And it's just like it's, it's 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 really cool to see all the texture of these people uh, to 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 see all the the things that that make them who they are 
I think there's there's kind of this connotation sometimes in hockey, the self-seriousness uh, that that when you are one of the quote unquote 200 hockey men, that's what you are. Uh, but but to kind of have these barriers broken down, and I'm, I'm really glad that we could do that with this show because it's, it's really cool to tell these people's stories and to give them a chance to have their platform. And uh, you know what? I talk to him pretty regularly and even I got some really cool uh, tidbits of inter- information out of him in this this interview. It was great. Oh, yeah. I mean, hey, listen, uh, you know, it's, whatever your talents are in, in, in whatever uh, walk of life you're, you're, you're using those talents, I mean, at, at, at the core of that is, is really good people. And, you know, everybody has different personalities, but in, in my experience as J.D., the people are, are always wonderful. I, I can count on one hand, and I don't fill up the, the one hand even at that point, of people that you would say that, that I've come across in my dealings in, in the hockey world. And that's not just within hockey management or hockey stuff. I'm talking about with all types uh, of people involved with the hockey, in, in, the, in the media, the coaching, the juniors, the international, everything. My, my one hand doesn't get filled up uh, with people that were ones that you just said, you know what, those aren't people that I have any interest in uh, forging a relationship with. And, and, and that will never, and that will never be uh, that. And, and I think that'll always be the case. And, and, and Hawk is, is another example of that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know what, Craig, like I kind of am finding the, the same thing, the same thing. Like as I, as I kind of meet people, when I would go to the rinks, I would always just like, you know, it's funny. I talked to one of my friends in the industry. I can't give away his name or else he'll, he'll get in trouble for, for association, I would imagine. <laughs> but I always talk to him, you know, like I met uh, this scout and we were chatting and, and man, this guy is salt of the earth, dude. And then it's like, I got self-conscious because it was like, I've said this about just about every scout that I've met. It's just like, again and again, they're like Doug Wilson Jr. You know, like I still think uh, about that that moment at the draft where he did the sign language for, for Ozzy Weisblatt, like, man, that's, that's it right there. You know, <laughs> like that's, that is salt of the earth stuff, you know, like the sort of consideration that goes into a decision like that. And, and I think that, you know, you can find uh, a, a kind of practical application of that story to, to every scout that I've spoken to. Like it might not be the exact same item, right? Like it's, it's pretty regular for you have to do sign language for your draft pick, but they all have a story to that effect. And, and, you know, like we had Mark Yanetti on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk with Mark, right? He, he's just like, I don't know. He's, he's just a dude who loves to shoot the, you know, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this show. Rob might give just me trouble. Shoot the breeze. Shoot the breeze. That's it. He just loves to shoot the breeze. That's another thing, Craig, like people within the game, like the best ones. And I brought this up in, in the interview with Hawk, like people ask me for a consistent thread with who I think are the best scouts. And it's always like, they just love the game. Like, not only do they love the game, but they they want to talk to you about the game. And I'm always fascinated when I get a, into a conversation with one of these AGMs or one of these front office executives and they go, what would you have done with our pick? And, and it's just like, you care? <laughs> you know, and the answer is, of course they do, because they love the game and they want to get as many perspectives as they can. They want to leave every they don't want to leave a single stone unturned. And, and I think Hakan really kind of embodies that. And in fact, the Alexander Edler story uh, that he tells in the interview is, is actually kind of funny because it's the one time I bet you he wishes he left a stone unturned because he might have actually pulled uh, Alexander Edler into the organization had he not made that phone call. There's a little 
teaser for our audience on that one. Well, somewhere in the future, I'll share my Simon Gagne story, which is uh, which will which will be very similar to other stories uh, the scouts have, and where they're trying to guard information or you know try to think that they might be a little bit smarter. That was the case uh, with myself and uh, Simon Gagne than others. Don't underestimate scouts. Don't underestimate other scouts. You know what? There's 31 teams, about to be 32 teams in a league. Uh, and yeah, you, you you might be able to think you're pulling the wool over 25 teams, maybe even 30, but you're not getting them over everybody. And I would suggest that never does it even hit 25. You just might think you're fooling people. Ultimately, what you're doing is, is just fooling yourself. And, and I'm talking about my own experience. I'm not talking about turning over a stone like Hawk talked about, but you know, one sometime in the future i'll i'll, I'll share the uh simo gagne story I, I would love to hear it man i mean like the the spycraft angle of scouting like i i think that this interview by us craig like uh i i can't in good faith say like this is our best one yet because i said that about robert cron just in our last episode so i can't upstage him just one episode later uh except in the sense that i think we're getting better with every single episode but i also think that like the fact that we could bring out this this story this spy craft this jean le carre novel <laughs> out of out of hawk like these are the things that i want to bring out more of because i think it would really add some life and some color and and some new perspectives to what it means to be an nhl scout and and sometimes it kind of happens behind the scenes in ways that people might not suspect like uh you know i was talking to an area scout in in ontario who was telling me about the basically the detective work that he had to do about one player's uh uh birth certificate and i was just so fascinated like i can't get into the details obviously but i was just like you you did that and the answer is he said of course i did I, it would be i would not be doing my job had i uh not looked into these these details and it's just like wow okay that's cool <laughs> you know that's really cool like there's so much more that goes into it than just watching people play hockey. And I think people will, uh, will get a sense of that with this interview. And, and, and one thing just to keep in mind, Robert Cron's experiences are different than Doug Wilson Jr.'s experiences, which are different than Mark Unetti's experiences, which are different than uh, Hawk and Anderson's experiences. So it's not about who's better or this one was better. They're all unique. And they all come from a different place with their different experiences, not only personally, but professionally. And, you know, that to me is when you can hear the different perspectives and how individuals have, have taken their own personal experiences and tried to apply them. I, I think that is what makes each and every one, each and every one of these episodes uh, special. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and really, like, I, I just, I almost hope we can have some of the early guests on again in, in the future, because I think we're just getting better at bringing these, these stories out and these, uh, this little bit of character reveal, uh, element with all of these scouts. Like, I, let's, let's get Mark Unetti back on. Let's get Doug Wilson Jr. back on. We'll make it happen. But you say that, and one of the things Hawk and Anderson talked about was he's always looking at the next player. We need to mm. look at the next experiences, the next people. Doug Wilson Jr.'s experiences are great, and it'd be you talk about bringing them back, but it, it, it's about you know looking back and saying, hey, there's here's seventy five guests that have been part of this, and yeah. you know dive into it, right? And you know what? There's uh, there's 
uh, and then the, the guests that have come on have been fantastic and the guests that will come on will be fantastic but they'll mm -hmm. all be different and they'll oh, all yeah. be unique but they won't be any less fantastic or special no no absolutely not and and like you know what when i say like we got to have doug wilson jr and mark unetti back on i hope that's as part of a greater scheme that sees us bring in new guests and then find the time to bring them back on too uh because i i enjoy doing the show that much and i enjoy hearing these tales and being able to like be on the front line of, of getting them out there uh but no you're totally right like there are some interesting new perspectives that i'd love to bring to the show i just you know, what's funny is because I come from a uh, Canucks army background, right? It was very analytics heavy, right? The reputation precedes itself. Um, those people are so closely guarded, you know, something tells me I'm just never going to get uh, Namita Nandamakar on the show. Unfortunately, they just, those PR departments, they, they got a tight grip on the analytics staffers, but I think there would be some really interesting and, and fruitful conversations to be had with that part of the scouting industry, but where we're going to have to get creative to find new ways to, uh, to get people who are just starting to, to write their own story, to author their own version of that kind of hockey legacy. We're going to have to bring them onto the show and uh, I'll make that a project of mine. We'll make it happen. Well, uh, my suggestion is Noel Needham, the assistant general manager of the Chicago Steel. Mm. She's got a fascinating background and, you know, what she has uh, not only done, but continues to do and will do in the future. You want unique, you want uh, talented, uh, you want special. Noel Needham is really good. I, I mean, the Chicago Steel in general, Craig, like if I if I had a kid who was coming up in the game, like I would say, uh, you know what, for one, there's like a 95% chance you won't be good enough that this will apply. But <laughs> I mean, I might not tell them that, but but on the odd chance that you have that shot, I'm going to do everything to steer that kid in the direction of the Chicago Steel. You know, like that's where you want to play if you are a developing forward or if you're a developing defenseman, if you're a developing goalie. Actually, if you are a developing talent, talent in hockey, you want to go to the Chicago Steel, even if it's just in front office, uh, scouting, analytics, like that is the place to be. Uh, just a fascinating organization. In fact, you know what, Craig, maybe we'll have them on in the near future because I, I never tire of talking about this organization and, and all the details. I mean, I think they might be more, more forward thinking than some of the, the franchises in the NHL. I don't say that lightly, but I think they might be charting some new territory that we haven't even seen yet in professional hockey. Yeah, well, there's no question they're, 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 they do an outstanding job. And Ryan Hardy is, is a bright, bright uh, person who I think most importantly has taken his experiences, uh, evaluated them, figured out, uh, you know, what he can do better, learned what, he doesn't need to do anymore and he lets people he hires good talented creative people and and he lets them do their job mm -hmm. and, and what's really interesting too is is i talked to to uh ryan hardy for an interview uh we had a piece where i was writing about the chicago steel on rinkside and about how progressive they were et cetera, et cetera. and and one of the things i heard through the grapevine was that they weren't necessarily concerned with domain knowledge so you didn't have to have a deep understanding of hockey necessarily. Like it wasn't a prerequisite. What you needed to show was competence and, and, and a work ethic and a desire to learn. That was what they coveted within their organization. And they would take people who showed a great degree of competence in, in their respective field. 
and they would go, we can teach you the hockey part, but you can't teach people to work like that. You can't teach people to have details like that. And that really caught my attention. That was something that I, I really felt was like so crucial to the story I wrote. And uh, I was really happy with how that turned out just in time for the draft too. when, oh, gee, I think what, like six or seven steel crossed the virtual stage. Like what a year for that organization. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this year too, it's going to be Coronado. It's going to be uh, Samoskevich, like, uh, and then even among the players there that are drafted, I mean, Sean Farrell is just running ramshot over the USHL. Well, Sean should be there. He's there no. because of the pause and everything. But I'll tell you who everybody's going to miss, who, who, who everybody's going to go, how did they miss him? Josh Doan's going to get drafted. Yeah. And you could see it last year. I watched. I was watching Josh. He didn't have the prominent role, but you could see that there was some really good, strong raw ability in Josh's game work ethic too i mean he works his tail off like every shift and he's physical he goes to the net i think he's got a real good understanding of the limitations of his game uh as well as the fact that he did have more to to give like that kind of uh give and take i suppose that he had to kind of work out mentally with his role like i think he has a really good grasp of that uh you know who else might get drafted this year i'm gonna jump on i'm gonna i I need to jump here do it's one of the things chicago steel never ever do is look at a player's limitations. They always look at a player's potential. They always look at expanding players and helping them be better and help them be better in areas that maybe the player doesn't think they can be better in and people outside don't think they can be better in. That is a significant, significant hallmark of the Chicago Steel. They don't look at limitations, height, lack of skating, lack of strength, immaturity, whatever. They always look at potential and they're always looking to, to, to develop it to the greatest extent possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, Craig, you're going to like this analogy. It, it reminds me of Pete Carroll in the NFL. I read a, I read a story about how they drafted DK Metcalf and there was all these conversations about what he can't do. He can't run routes. He's got a limited tree. He's got poor three cone time. Pete Carroll apparently in those meetings was like, tell me what he can do. That was his response to all the criticisms of DK Metcalf going into the draft. Well, he's looking pretty sage at this point, I would say. You know, DK Metcalf is a hell of a receiver. I don't care what sport you're in, GD, uh, JD. I can tell you this. I have never to this day heard anybody after selecting a player stand up and talk about what the player can't do. Mm-hmm. Ever. So all these teams are spending inordinate amounts of, uh, of, uh, of uh, time and financial resources and everything that goes into having confidence to select these. Not once ever have I heard a team after selecting a player in the draft say, well, he doesn't do this, 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 or that, or she doesn't do this, this, or that, ever. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind when yeah. other people want to talk about what a player doesn't do. And you know what, Craig, I, I had to make sure I, I snuck this in, but you know who else might go this year on the steel that didn't last year? David Ma going to Princeton. I think he might, might be a late round flyer. I could see it happening. I could see it happening. I mean, he's on that first pair. Uh, and, and I, I'm not, I mean, I thought, uh, uh, you know, there's other players in the past that could, that, that you look at that didn't go that become free agents. Tory Krug. I was shocked that he didn't get drafted. And I know the teams were looking to draft him, including the Boston Bruins, and they passed on him. 
the Boston Bruins, you know, when it came down to signing them, they were just happy that they were able to get them because they didn't want to have to talk about, you know, the fact that they could have drafted them. So it, it, it's happened in the past. It's going to happen again in the future. And and interestingly enough, I mean, you look at the Bruins, they lose Krug this offseason, and then they go out and they they sign uh, Jack Akon, who a different style of game, but undersized NCAA free agent defenseman. I don't know. Watch him be the next crew for them. That would be a pretty lofty bar to clear. I mean, just being honest here, just, I mean, most NCAA free agents are, you know, depth defenders, if that, and that's a hell of an outcome for those players as well. I don't think it should be understated, but uh, I know David St. Louis in, in uh, rinkside, huge believer in Jack Akon's game. So I'll be an interesting one to follow. But the Boston Bruins have developed Tory Krug, Matt Grizzlick, and so they have a they have a track record of developing those types of defensemen. So mm -hmm. there, there's no downside to ever signing a college free agent or nope. being free agent. There's zero downside, and wh wh whether people like them or whatever your projection is, give them an opportunity. If it doesn't work out, that's fine. But uh, you will never ever hear me say there's a downside to signing a European or college free agent. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're, we're up against the clock here, but just on that note, I mean, who would have seen Brogan Rafferty being an actual prospect out of Quinnipiac? Not me, not me, but the Canucks did. And it's looking well, like a pretty savvy investment. Well, again, like, okay. So you can look at what risk is there in signing Brogan Rafferty or Jack Akon or what, what, what risk is there? None exactly so Zero. now it's it's just varying degrees of reward right up to a tory krug other players that haven't been able to find the way but if you got zero risk and the reward is ever increasing why wouldn't you take it's not even taking a risk it's making the investment mm -hmm. no and, and you know what craig uh, you you were ahead of the curve on on this item, and it's it's one that I've really kind of integrated myself. You will be happy to hear is is not projecting players to a specific role, but but Mitch cited in an article something that Sam Hinky did with his scouts in in Philadelphia. He'd put a bunch of cups in front of them, and he'd he'd mark each cup with um, potential outcomes. I don't follow basketball. I couldn't tell you what they are, but you know, from elite to nothing at all. And he'd say, "Here are your ten marbles." uh weight each cup accordingly and i was like hey that's what craig said you know allow for different outcomes kind of thing and and it's uh it's kind of interesting because it's certainly a way that i i now look at players it's i will allow for a range of outcomes and it's about weighting each one proportionately i think that's kind of where you find fertile ground as a scout and it all goes back to the darren helm story that you were telling with with jim nil you know it's yeah, you and, allow and, for and, certain and, things. And I learned from Jim Dill describing that, right? So, you know, and you, you, you talk about these different things and we go, oh, he's going to be a first line left winger. Well, mm -hmm. Okay. Why do we have to just put him in one specific bot? Now it's easy to do it. If you're talking about, uh, like Lafreniere. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's easy to do, but there's so many other players fall into this range right and mm -hmm. you know you learn over time that this like okay you project a guy and you say oh yeah we, we got our second line winger here well, so what happens if he's a good third line winger like you know yes he was the third was the fourth overall pick in the draft he was mm -hmm. nowhere near ready to come to the nhl oh. I, I would tell the guys in, in in edmonton the media guys i said you can only go by what you see 
You can only go by what you're observing. What you're observing isn't wrong, but it's a perfect example of the organization putting a player on display. I'm not using that in a in, in, in a derogatory tone or a diminishing tone, but mm -hmm. they put him there for you to watch when he was clearly not ready. He was clearly not ready. It's it's like asking a third year university student to come in front of the PhD dissertation committee to to defend a, a, a PhD. Like no kidding, they're going like, really? This person doesn't have any experience. They're not very good. They don't know how to articulate an argument. It's the same thing with a hockey player. But you know, again, like so now, oh, he's a bust. Oh, really? Are you sure about that? He might not be what we thought, or he might not be that. But I'd be careful about using terms like bust with 20-year-old players and 21-year-old mm. players. That's all I'd say. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mike Hoffman cleared waivers oh, at 25. Bingo. 25 years old and he cleared waivers. Go yeah. figure. And I think on that note, we'll have to let you uh, get to your, your many tasks, Craig. Uh, and then, you know what? I feel like that that Mike Hoffman story, it's... Uh, it actually does tie in nicely to some of the ones we're going to hear from from Hawk for, oh, for yeah, some of for like sure. the the Jonathan Erickson one. You know, I think he's a third round talent, but I bet we can get him in the seventh. And <laughs> and that final pick in the draft, hell of a career. All right, yeah. I've been JD Burke. My co-host has been Craig Button, and you've been listening to the Elite Prospects podcast. Don't forget to leave us a rating or a review wherever you get the show. And if you leave a question in your review on Apple Podcasts, we will eventually get to it. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy the interview. And now we are very happy to welcome to the program. He is Hakan Anderson, a man who needs almost no introduction, which is a rarity unto itself in the scouting world. I mean, seriously, not a land of much celebrity. It's all about hard work and toil and finding players. But when you get Pavel Datsuk, Henrik Sederberg, Nick Lidstrom, and now hopefully a new nucleus with which the Detroit Red Wings can work around, Lucas Raymond, Moritz Sider, William Volinder. I can see the man cringing right now <laughs> as I'm giving him all this credit, as scouts always do. That would be Hakan Anderson. He's the director of European scouting for the Detroit Red Wings and someone we're very happy to welcome to the program and also very jealous of because Hakan, correct me if I'm wrong here, and I know I'm right, you are in Jurgarden's Arena getting ready to watch William Eklund and live hockey, something that Craig and I just cannot do right now. You just had to rub it in by recording from the arena. I hate to, to correct you, but uh, this is coming. number one, the most, most importantly, I would say it was actually Chris Rockstrom who drafted Nick Lidstrom. I started working the, the, the fall after that draft. Ah. And second of all, I'm in Malmo arena. You, Gordon, is, is on the road. Ah, okay. Thanks for having me. Hell of a start. I only got two things wrong in the introduction. All right. We're off to a roaring introduction here. Uh, <laughs> and, and Hakan, what has the scouting season been like for you? I mean, uh, you were allowed in rinks for a little bit, then you weren't, and now you're allowed back in. Is, is that kind of how it's gone in Sweden for you? Yeah, they were really good with us in the fall. They let us watch the junior games for, for a month up, leading up to that draft in October. And then the health authorities obviously shut everything down in, in late November. So it's been all video after that. Uh, the games have been going on in the highest and the second highest league in Sweden. But nobody's been allowed. And now we've had, now they allow a limited number of scouts. So I know some scouts that are frustrated because some arenas only allowed five or six scouts. So they will call in and they say, no, we're full already. We're full. It's taken. So. So, but, but it's nice when you're one of the ones that get in, it's nice. 
Yeah, so, so hockey, you know, the, the J20 league and the J18 leagues were shut down before Christmas. So for those players, I mean, we know there's some players that are playing in the Allsvenskan and in the SHL, but for some of the other players that aren't ready to play in the higher leagues, you know, how is it, you know, what are the what are the teams done to try to get those players into situations where they can play and continue their development? One of the things that we have that's been really helpful here is that hockey gymnasium, like we call it. It's like the hockey college. So after you've done your nine years of mandatory school, uh, the players that belong to any of the, the junior teams that you've talked about, they usually go to one of those colleges where you, you have three practices a week. And, and, and because of the authorities letting the schools be open, now there's your team practices, basically. Because for a while there, they didn't even allow the 18 and 20s to practice as a team. They now let, let them start doing that. But for, for, for the month of December, basically, the month of January, that's when they had their three or four times a week. It was in the morning instead of the evening. Uh, but at least they were together then and we were able to do some skating and you know, stuff together. So that's been a savior. And I suppose the, the hockey at Tan as well a little bit, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's a league that that we're not often forced to have a great deal of, of familiarity with the third tier of Swedish uh, men's hockey. But now you look at it and it's got North American prospects. It's got, you know, for example, being based in Vancouver, I'm always greeted with new information about their prospects. Like Victor Persson is playing in the hockey at 10. Uh, what yeah. has it been like for you kind of integrating that into your scouting regimen? Was it a league that you placed much focus on prior to this season or has your emphasis increased? Uh, what, what what kind of role has that played for you? It, it, well, obviously a bigger role this year. We have some of the high prospects playing in that league. Uh, we have the Robertson kid who's from Sweden and a potential first rounder. He's playing, actually coming to Stockholm on Saturday with his team to play. Uh, so they they and they've taken on, like you mentioned, a, a bunch of North American prospects too. Uh, so it's been more focused on that league than before. I've always watched it. There's been a couple of guys drafted from that league over the years. But it is a, a third league in Sweden. It, it's a senior league. And, and the amazing thing is actually there's four leagues. There's a north, south, east, and west. And they each have 10 or 12 teams. And they get no money to pay. I talked to a coach the other day. He said, my players get zero, zero crowns to pay. Even if they have to take half a day off from their job to leave early. We got to get on a bus and travel five hours before we play. They get no money whatsoever. And they still practice five times a week and play two games a week. What are the spectators? So I'm actually, I think it's part of, it's a bigger thing than people think in Sweden because a lot of those, we have a really good junior league, Craig, yeah, you've so seen it. Uh, a lot of those, the, the high-end names, they move straight into their team in the, in the Swedish Elite League or the Allsvenskan. But the majority of those players from that junior league, they start their senior career in that Division One league. And then they play there for a year or two or three sometimes. And then they get picked up by an Allsvenskan team. And then by the age of 25, some of those kids show up in the SHL and go, having gone that way instead. So it's, it's a kind of important league for Swedish hockey. I mean, the big names, three years later, they're in North America. But a lot of these guys that support the Allsvenskan and the SHL, they, they, they usually start their senior career in the Division One. 
Well, it speaks to ongoing development. And, and as you point out about the J20, and uh, I think the J20 league is as good a junior league as there is anywhere in the world. Uh, like, you know, with the talent and everything, yeah. just it, it doesn't have the same marketing, but as you, the, the, it's an outstanding league for young talent. But, you know, you talk about development there and, and, and you know, there's going to be like the Lucas Raymonds, the Victor Hedmans, all the top end players, you know, you know, we know, we know where they're, where they're headed, but for that next group of players where they need, time and, and, and Hawk you've been a big part of this with the Detroit Red Wings and with Kenny and with Steve about being patient with players you know we want all players at 18 or 19 to be ready to play in the NHL that's a rarity so how important yeah. is it you know when we talk about development you know with respect to these young players having an opportunity to, to get their feet wet and to grow yeah I, I think it's more important than people realize and, and I'm seeing it. It's really good this year because again, I mentioned this Robertson kid. He's he's played on Kaleftio's big team. Uh, he's a son of of the Robertson, the coach. Uh, and but he he gets fourth line duty, and he's basically told, "Don't fuck anything up." <laughs> and after thirty seconds, get off the ice. Basically, now he's in this Division One team. He's got a point per game. Like he's on the power play. He's doing stuff. It's exactly where you want a young kid to be. And he's, his confidence is growing and, and, you know, it's just the kind of level where he should be right now. Well, he, either that or the J20 league, you know, which is not playing. So this is perfect for him. And, and I mean, like, just I, I think you kind of touched on that. But like one of the things that we're going to find out is as the WHL and the OHL opens up, you're going to see players like Philip Tomasino, Seth Jarvis, all these prospects who have proven themselves capable of playing in a professional setting against men have to move back to junior hockey. Uh, and it, it just feels like in Sweden and, and to another degree, Finland and Russia, you know, one thing that's really, in my estimation, preferable is that you have these options available to your prospects, that if you show a level of proficiency beyond junior, uh, you, you get to be seasoned another level up against men, another level up against men, whether it's the Alsvenskin to the SHL uh, or the Mesti to Liga in Finland, right? So you've got Moritz Sider, for example, if he were in the CHL when you drafted him, well, that's the junior level competition that he would be playing against until he had aged out of that league. Instead, he gets competition against men in Grand Rapids. And now with Rogla, I hope I didn't butcher that pronunciation. I've already got two things wrong this episode. But, uh, you know, like I think that is a real leg up for, for European prospects and Swedish ones as well. Do you think it gets enough play among the North American audience? Yes, I, I couldn't tell you if it gets enough play. I, I just, I think that it's a good... The good thing is that we have different levels and, and if they have any player at, in any given team, if they have management and coaches that are aware, they make sure that they play at a level where they can become the players they have a chance to be. Because sometimes I've seen it, them put in, in that fourth line role where, you just, like I said, don't screw anything up and just get off the ice after 30. So it's a clock kill, like Kenny used to call them, you know. <laughs> and, but instead, they should be on a first or second line somewhere do, trying to do things with the puck to improve that part of their game. 
So that's why it's good that we have all these different levels, I think. Well, and, and, and For sure. you know, just using it, also the different teams, JD and Hawk knows this, is like, and, and I'll use Lucas Raymond as an example. I mean, he's an elite talent, right? But he's an elite talent. But he's also playing for an elite team in Forlunda. So, you know, it's they know how good he is, <laughs> but their team is yeah. also elite. So how do you make sure that you balance those two things out? It, 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 and, and it's part of the difficulty, right? And, 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 and when I say that, that, you know, you go back and you try to look at evaluation, right? So when you're watching these players over a period of time master it, it's not so much that Lucas Raymond didn't play so much last year and Lucas Raymond or not, didn't play as much as everybody liked. It's about understanding this is a really good player that's going to get us time and assessing it. So my question to you is, is Hawkins, why is there such a focus in the scouting world about, oh, he had a good game or he didn't play and therefore he's not so good. Like, how, how does that happen? Like, this is, you know, I, I'm going to later on t tell one of my favorite stories about you and Kenny uh, in Russia that, that I absolutely love that I only found out about it years later. But, you know, uh, but, you know, why does that happen? Why, why do we focus so much on, oh, he didn't play, oh, he might not be as good a prospect or he didn't have a good game, he's not as good. Why does that happen? Well, uh, obviously, it's a little bit to do with personality. And if you're like, if you're player development, or even if you're assistant GM or something, and you're in a bad position, your team, you know, you, you might actually be wondering if you're going to keep your job. Obviously, you want the, the guys you've drafted the last couple of years to look good and come on and, and be and make a difference. That could be one explanation. I try after 30 years, I, you know, talk a lot to the kids about you know take it easy take your time a good game a bad game this is a little bit longer than that uh, it's about work ethic we talk a lot about that nick cronwell is obviously helping us this year unbelievable man as we all know so i, I think we're trying to put a little bit of patience in the kids there because it, that you're you're absolutely right a, a game up or a game down is not such a big deal um I don't know, like we talked about something else before, you get caught up in it. That could be one reason too, you know. You're supposed to, it's the way it is. And you're, you're surrounded by demands and, and, and hopes and everything. And, and let's, let's keep going down that line since Craig started by, by referencing Lucas Raymond, right? Like we, uh, our, our Swedish scout, um, Christopher Hedlund, he was on our case all year and every meeting he was going, look, I know he's playing fourth line minutes, but if you adjust his production, and you go, this is how much he's producing on a per hour basis. Well, it's, it's actually pretty spectacular. Now, of course, that's a more quantitative way of looking at it. But how do you as a scout uh, evaluate that? Because, of course, not all 60 minute segments are created equal, right? Like Lucas Raymond, you know, for, for one, he's probably getting to that 60 minute point, you know, in eight and nine minute and 10 minute intervals. Right. And then you have to yeah. consider the level of competition he's playing with. You know, how was that sort of, uh, how did you make the math work it, mentally when you were scouting him? I think in, in, in his case, it was a little bit special because I don't know if you guys know it, but I was on the board of Frölana there for, for, for four years helping them. And, and that's when Lucas Raymond was coming up through the system. Mm. So I had as much background on him as anybody else. And, and I, I probably had a little bit bigger issue trying to convince all, the rest of our people that this was a good player. Not that they were hard on it. They liked him too. But if it was up to me, I knew he was a high pick from, from early, you know. 
but they needed to see it too. So we were going to certain games where you'd know maybe he had a chance to get a little more ice time. But but for me, it was no surprise that he went from last year being a basically a 13th forward with with very different ice time to this year being on their power play. We when we drafted and we knew that was a probably a reality to come because of the the level of player that he is. He just needed to adjust, and he was actually one of the players last season. When he didn't have a lot of ice time, there, there were some talks about him. You should go down and play with the junior team, or do you want to go down? And they had a serious, the coaches told me, they had a serious discussion with him. And he said, I have 100% respect for my junior team. They're my peers and everything. If you guys are okay with it, I would rather prefer to stay and practice with the men's team, even when I don't get the ice time. Because next year, and I'm not being cocky, but next year I'm playing regular on this team. And any any hour I can do on the ice with the, with these men, it's going to benefit me a year from now. That was his, because a lot of kids are happy to go down because they didn't get ice time. But he kind of felt that he was done with junior and, and he was probably right, you know, in his case, because he's a pretty high-end talent. So uh, he that's, that was actually said last season. And, and the coaches said, as long as we see you work hard and practice, that's fine with us. But just know that there be games when you don't get a lot of ice time. And he said, I'm fine with that. I just, I want to stay in the men's world and work and compete and learn everything because next year I'm playing regular. And he is playing regular. So, so hot when you talk about that. I mean, there's a maturity about Lucas too. And, you, you know, you watch him yeah. play. He's always played up an age group nationally, right? Yeah. And he's always performed <laughs> amongst the very best in the age group ahead of him. You know, you know, how important, you know, it's one thing to sit down and talk with a player and express to him what he can, but for a young player like Lucas to have that maturity and understanding of knowing where he's going and what's going to best serve him, you know, how do you, how do you impress upon, you know, in, in this case, I mean, you're a significant part of the Detroit Red Wings management, but how do you impress upon the others in your group, you know, how special this person is, forget about on the ice, but how mature he is and what an intelligent person he is off the ice. Well, yeah, he's, I don't know what to say there. He he runs his own. I don't know if this is part of it, but I just found out now a, a week ago that the, the world junior coach for Sweden, who was an inexperienced assistant coach and was put in a position, he, he did, I didn't talk to him, but he told some people here back in Sweden that the biggest help maybe of the whole tournament for him was Lucas Raymond. He said he did so many things on the team we had team meetings and he talked to certain players and he did certain things that helped me so much. He said, I can't tell you enough what a disaster I would have been without Lucas Raymond on the team. So he was all super impressed by him. And I, I think that that'll tell you too. It's not every player doing that. Uh, uh, so, so in his case, when he had those arguments about where to play and how much and all that, he he was pretty spot on. I mean, you you see some junior kids that are, you know, they're somewhere else than where they really are. They don't know where they where they're standing in versus the men's team or junior team. And where am I going to play? And why am I not getting the ice time? And everybody else can see why you're not getting the ice time. And in his case, it's a he's gone. He, he's he's matured beyond his years. I would say. Well, I, I want to just add to that because somebody that you're very close to, Nicholas Cronwall. 
you know, in, in, in his 18 year draft year, he opted not to go into the draft. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then the next exactly. year, I mean, people knew how good he was, uh, but then he, he went in the next year and became somebody like Nicholas, who was so confident. Hey, I don't need to go on the draft. I'm a good player. I'm going to move there. These are important aspects of development, not only knowing your own yeah. path, but being confident in it. And so now you have Nicholas working with you. How important is it for him and his experience when you go and talk to players, regardless of where they're playing, to impress that upon them, to have Nicholas at your side? Outstanding. Outstanding. It's a thousand NHL games. And, and, and not only that, but he has... He has a personality that wants to teach kids and he can handle them properly. And, and so it's, it's, it's as good as anybody I could ever, if I could pick freely from any name in Sweden, I'd probably still take him. You know, it's, it's, it's unreal how good he is for us. And it's, it's such a home run. Uh, and obviously just getting started, but he's going to, it's going to pay off big time having him on board. Just listening to the way that you talked about uh, Lucas Raymond earlier and, and now Liquid, uh, Nicholas Cronwall is it kind of follows a trend too towards more at cider. When you talk to people within the game, they go, this guy is so committed. His work ethic is at such a high level. Uh, this is somebody who is giving you his all every shift, doing the extra time in the weight room, doing the extra time at practice. And, and, and you guys got a little bit of criticism, maybe not criticism, but people thought you went a little bit above uh, where he should have gone when you picked Moritz Sider, right? Like uh, whether that was fair or not, like that was some of the criticism out there, right? And, and here he is, he's crushing the SHL. And I mean, crushing literally like Elmer Soderblom went to throw a hit six foot eight, Elmer Soderblom. You're pretty familiar with him and more cider. He just bounced right off him. He's also posting amazing two way results. He's putting up points. He's looking like an absolute steal. And you said something before we recorded that was really fascinating to me. You said, I still think he's underrated. So, so tying all that together, what can you say about him off the ice and, and where you think the future lies for your sixth overall pick? Uh, well, obviously the future lies, it's between him and Iceman, I would say. You know, if they feel he's ready, he's ready. Uh, I've just seen him play the season here and, and it's been tremendous. And I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I think he's, if Johan Garpenlöf could pick any national team from the players in Sweden, he would certainly play on that team as one of the six D-men in, in the spring. Even though he's still a junior, he was he was on his good way to crush that. Uh, Niels Lundqvist has a junior record for most points for a junior, thirty-one points. But he had this injury, but he was at he had like twenty-five games to go, and he was ten points behind or something. You know, uh, he might still break it. I don't know, but 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 no, he he's been tremendous, and the work, uh, everything, and they have a good regular where he's at. Has they have a really good attitude. The whole team there with those brothers are really taking that team to the highest level in Sweden and, and he fits right in. So it, it, it's, it's a match made in heaven in that way. And, and I guess when the season is over, if the Red Bulls are still playing, he's heading over there or GR, whatever, but it certainly looks like he's ready to play in the NHL next year. What I meant by that question, the way he looks right now, what I meant by like, where his future oh, lies, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Craig was, I just need to clarify this item was like, how good do you think he can be? That's that's what I meant by that, right? Because a lot of people, when they saw you take him, they went, oh, a low upside this or a low upside that. Certainly, I, I might have even dropped one of those lines. Who knows? Guilty as charged. But like he, 
looks so much better than he did uh, to the general public on draft day. Where do you think his potential can take him in terms of, you know, first pair, second pair? Can you put a number on it or something like that? Well, my, my <laughs> to be honest, I haven't seen this near as much NHL hockey as you guys have. Because uh, I, you know, different time zones and everything. I would certainly think that he's a first pair D man at the prime of his career. I think he'll. I mean, he, we even within the organization, we weren't sure how good he was with the puck. We knew he was a big, strong, competitive guy with with a great character. Uh, goes beyond, you know, the average person. But but the, his game with the puck has been tremendous. He's really worked on it, and it's gotten better. And and I. Very few flaws in his game now. Like I said, he's a big, tough D-man. Uh, he can shoot the puck. He can pass it. They use him on the power play. Like he looks like a really good all-round player with a high level of most most of the stuff he does is high level. Oh, I agree with you. And I, I mean, and I'm going to go back to it. Like you know, when I'm watching him play, I thought, okay, how good is his puck play? But I mean, it's it's, it's tremendous. <laughs> I like certainly improved you know, from a year ago. And the way the way he plays, I you know, it's it's interesting. You know, when I watch Jeff Petrie play, and he's a little bit older, I, I see a lot of Jeff Petrie in Moritz Sider, and 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 maybe a little bit more heaviness, a little bit more physical play than Jeff, but that ability to to go and make plays with the puck, and you know, that's real development. What I want to go back to, though, and I know, Hawk, you've seen the Russian Vive. <laughs> so it always, it always gives me an opportunity to, to, to go on about, oh, people say you took him too hot. You know, when you drafted Sergei Fedorov, right, you know, and Jim Devil, how are you taking him in the fourth round, right? And then the next year, Kozlov in the third round, right? Oh, how can you take a Russian in the third round? And I emphasize this all the time, J.D. The bottom line is... Take the players you like. Forget about everything else. You better put a stake in the ground on the players you like. And Hawk and I were together in Yaroslavl in 1990, I believe, right in the spring or in February of 1990, watching a, an under uh, Four Nations tournament. Do you remember when Hemet came in to play Yaroslavl and we saw little Vyacheslav Kozlov and we're all going, like he must have been 142 pounds. And then you go and watch the game. We went and watched the pro game. It was like, oh my God, like he, how brilliant he was. So my point is, based on the Russian five, is like, take the players you like and damn the torpedoes. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you there. You, you, and that's why they hired you, you know? It's for your opinion. You got to pick the players you like. And, and if it works out, they keep you. And if they don't, you know, they find somebody else yeah, to scout exactly, for you. But right? <laughs> you got to stick to your players that you like. Otherwise, it's no, you know. Well, well let's. There's no other way to do it. Let's let's keep talking about the players that, that you evidently like based on the, the fact that the Detroit Red Wings drafted them. And one that, that we have a personal stake in at Elite Prospects is, is Theodore Naderbach. And we, we were in the, the front of the firing line for this one because we, you know what, a lot of the scouts we talked to, obviously not you, but a lot of the scouts we talked to when they saw our draft board and they saw Theodore Niederbach in the first round, they went, are you guys out to lunch? Like, what is going on there? But you, Hakan, were the one person I spoke to who was like, there's something there, like this Theodore Niederbach kid. And, and, and when we talked again this fall, you were just talking about like, this is going to look like one of the steals of the draft. 
how did you well it might be a little early to say uh, that but, that, but those he, are your words he oh. had a good fall <laughs> he had a tremendous fall in, in in the junior league he was he was a much improved player from last season and the, the, i don't know if it makes any if it matters or not but i spoke to the guy who coached the under 16 team it's the first year in sweden when they're 16 when they put together a national team and he told me that very clearly he said there were three players anytime we had a power play there were three players that i sent out right away i didn't have to tell them what to do or anything i just said guys you got a power play get out there and score and it was lucas raymond theodor niedebach and and the little defenseman from hv johannesson he's been injured a lot so he he's not playing right now either he was drafted in the fifth he's very small but extremely smart and he said those three would just go out there and they would create offense and score i didn't even have to give them anything other than just go out there and, and create something and score and he was part of that group and and that to me and i think he's coming back to that we all know he had that knee injury he was out for i think he didn't skate for 13 months or something and and uh, i have high hopes for him yes for sure and and i mean when you talk about theodore niederbach that that was one of the things that that often came up was uh his skating was so far behind and and my response would be well he had to jump two levels of play uh he had to miss 13 months with a a knee surgery uh you know i i would have to imagine that's going to hinder his skating but his brain like his hockey sense that was something that really stuck out for us was that something that like did you have similar conversations with your group where you're like look we we know where the skating is at and of course you miss such such formative years in your development, it's going to take a hit. But if you can sink the game at a high level, you can work around that. And that was kind of our calculus with him. Did you guys have similar conversations? We were, yeah, we were there too. We liked his smarts for sure. Yeah. Um, that, that was one of the main things that you wanted to draft. I agree with that. Very, very smart player. Makes other players better. Uh, the other thing that was interesting is I, I talked to the people, he did rehab on his knee after the surgery. And they told me that we've hardly ever seen a guy so patient and stubborn on doing exactly what he's been told day in and day out for months and after month after month. And do I like that attitude too <laughs> in the player, you know? So that made it a little bit easier too when you hear those things. Well, you, you know, you gotta, you're going to push through a lot of resistance just playing the games, you know, let alone, you know, recovering from an injury. And those are qualities that are going to serve you well on the ice. You know, we talk about skating. I, I, I think this is as good a time as any for me to talk about. And I'll, I'll never forget it, Hawk. We, we were in Russia and, you know, things were opening up in a significant way. And you were there, there were lots of people were there, but you and Kenny. And I remember where we were staying and I remember Kenny says, yep, he goes, we gotta, we gotta, we're going somewhere. He goes, I'm on a secret mission. My man Hawks got me on a secret mission, right? <laughs> so <laughs> you, you go on, on your secret mission, story. you come back and you know, there was respect. Like there was respect. Like there wasn't shading. I mean, we, 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 we would travel the games, you know, we'd sit down with, Hey, yeah, that guy had a good game, but we didn't trade information. It was, you know, it was competitive, but then you, you came back and I remember Kenny going on, Oh yeah, the secret mission, like, uh, Jeez, uh, I don't know how good that was. Anyway, long story short, at the draft, I start talking to Kenny, and he says to me, he goes, that secret mission, we just drafted the guy that I went on the secret mission on. <laughs> you want to tell You want to tell JD and the audience uh, what that secret mission was and who you were scouting? 
I think I know where this is going. I'm actually, I've had him on a couple of those, so you're going to have to enlighten me on this uh, one. Well, that's because I, we, and yeah, he was playing yeah. on a, he was playing yep. with skates that were a size too big or something, and the ice wasn't great. He was kind of stumbling around a little bit. <laughs> he, uh, that was the first thing when I talked to him. Uh, after we had drafted him, that was the first thing he wanted. Can you get me a pair of skates? Can you get me a pair of skates? Wow. Like he was playing hockey in Russia at a higher level and he, he couldn't even get skates. Because I remember that was the first question I got. Well, and the reason I bring it up, Hawk, is, is because I think it's a great example of, of scouting and, and the group that's required. So you believe in this player. You're, you're going to take Kenny. I need you to go watch him, right? Okay, maybe the guy didn't play so great. But Kenny knew you, and he believed in you. And, you know, it's one of my big beliefs. If you're going to have people work with you and you value them, then it's not always about agreeing. It's about saying, hey, he knows the player better, and we're going to take that player. How important is that for you, not only for you personally, but how important is that for an entire organization to have that, that, that value proposition amongst all people? I think it's very important. and and. We, I had the luxury of being fresh in Detroit when Kenny was fresh. I mean, he'd worked, I think, two years or something as a Western scout, and he was just becoming the, the, the chief scout, and I was new. And so we, we got to grow together, you know, and, and we looked at Hawk in a similar way. So we, we stuck with each other for years, and, and, and obviously he got to know what I stood for. So he knew when I, when I was pounding the table that there might be something there. So I agree. It's very important to get to know each other that way. How do we look at players? And, and so you have a trust. And in the end, he kept saying, you know, I don't worry so much about Europe. I know you got Europe covered, you know, and that was probably a good feeling for him too. And, and you know what? Uh, further proof that you had Europe covered is, is to me, Albert Johansson. And when you were saying that, I think, oh yeah, you're, you're a fan, right, Craig? Oh, I, I love Albert. Uh, oh, and, you know, same, I, I know leading him to his draft here. I mean, and, and Hawk, I'm sure you'll agree. Sweden won the uh, the under 18 championship up in, in, in Ovi that year. And, you know, yeah. uh, uh, he was a significant part of that team. And when you, when, when you, and when you're watching and you're going, Oh boy, this guy's a good player. He, he was a good player at the world junior team this year. So enough of me talking. I, I hey, love Albert. <laughs> he, he, he's awesome. And, and that's like all I can say. Hakan, he just played you take with, it away. The, with the big national team here in February and did fine. Yeah. So that was a, that was, that was pleasing to obviously need strength to survive in the NHL, I would say, but, but the fact that he played so well with the national team, in February was made me really happen. And I know Kroner was very happy with it too, because he kept up, he showed compete. He kept up with the pace. He, he, he showed poise with the puck. Yeah. He showed the stuff you wanted to see in a young defenseman. And I, and I think I've just looked at some highlights, but ever since coming back from that, he's been very good with Fariestad too. I know last night he had two assists also. They, they actually beat regular for nothing. And Albert had two assists. The other night, yeah. So he's 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 been on fire. I think it was a good boost for him for obviously for the confidence. And this is why you're in the team sphere, and and people, other people are in the public sphere because I remember some of the comments about Albert Johansson before the draft. Uh, low upside was one of them, and I'm like, have you seen this guy carry the puck? Come on, have you seen him move the puck from zone to zone? Like that is not low upside. Uh, you know, do you think people take seriously like just how talented and how quick? 
and how smart Johansson is and his ability to get the puck up ice. Like that's so valuable in the modern NHL. And yet people slept. What I've seen, and I'm sure Craig, you guys have seen this too. People look at hockey so differently. Ah, mm -hmm. We're back to that same thing again that, that Craig said, stick to your guns. You know, this is what I think. This is what I see. If I was going to read and with all respect to your list, and if I was going to read all the list that is out there, it's going to drive me oh, yeah. nuts. You know? <laughs> I got to stick to my players and the order I like them. You know, yeah. otherwise, I mean, there's a million people out there who does nothing but comment on things. I think, you know, and and obviously they can and they should, and you know, it's part of being interested in hockey. But when it comes to drafting, I got to stick to what I think. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I just meant like, do you think people realize how good he is? That, that I think was like well, the bigger thing. I hope they'll find out yeah. what they, I hope he makes it to the NHL. It's, a good well, answer. it's amazing too, because when you watch players over a period of time, and like, I mean, we talked about Nicholas Cronwall. Nicholas Cronwall was 5'11, 5'10 and a half, 160 pounds. He played like he was six foot five, 240 pounds. You know, he never ever, yeah. played. but like, if you want to look at a player and say, oh, he's not big, or he's, yeah, every single player going into a drive, you can say, yeah, he's got to get stronger. Yeah, we all know that. So when you look at yeah. Albert Johansson, like Hawk just talked about it, okay? He competes. He's smart. He's in, he needs to get stronger because to take a to 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 be able to use those other areas to his advantage, it's going to help him when he's stronger. But Victor Soderstrom got hurt in that tournament and didn't return, and so it, it required even more heavy lifting by Bjorn Fott and by Victor uh, Philip Broberg and by uh, Albert Johansson. So like. If you're watching the game, like figure out how much they're going to improve and how much you think they can improve. Like Hawk talks about finding out how hard they work and their character and everything. Those are all matter. But you're watching the game. If anybody didn't see that Albert Johansson was a really good, solid player, I'd say that yeah. I don't know what your eyes were doing, but you weren't seeing what I was seeing. We're on the same page, my no. man. We are on the same page there. <laughs> Oh, that's good. No, I, uh, I, I think we, we got to keep going through some of these Swedish prospects while we have you. I know Red Wings fans are gonna gonna love to hear about all this, and and one player that they were very happy to see you take, and and that would be William Volinder. Uh, some graded him as a first round prospect. I believe you got him at the beginning of the second round, and and he yeah. he's uh, he's he's a lot of fun. He can also be a bit of uh, too much fun in the defensive zone sometimes. I think more fun than his coaches would appreciate sometimes, I would have to imagine. But you know what? That 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 sometimes is what you're you're dealing with with 18-year-olds, right? Like you need to help them round out their game. And and when you see the raw potential of of William Paulinder, uh, that has to be pretty exciting, right? I mean, what was that process like for you and your staff? Well, that was it was a bit of a process because we watched him and, and and there was a there was a he, he he played great some games and then not so good some games. So we had to try to figure out what can he be. Obviously, that's what you're doing when you're looking at these guys. And and in the end, I think he had like he played 25 junior games. He had 23 points or something. It was a, at, there were games that I saw in the junior league. He was just a little too good for that. And and the same this fall, he played a couple of ga junior games for Modo and and you know he'd logged two three points and it, you could tell that it wasn't. The level he should be at anymore. He needs to compete against men. Now he's been he's been out with the flu actually for for the last week. But no, I, I think the potential is great. You guys have seen him. He's big. He's mobile. We talked about it. I said jokingly. I said he's anywhere between the Kaiser and 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 Victor Hedman. You know, big, tall demon that can skate. One is a star. One is a 
not a star in the same sense. You know, he'll end up somewhere in there. We're going to find out where. Now, one of the things that, sorry, you go ahead, Craig. Of of looking at a player, and, you know, I think this is another big part of it. It's not saying he's exactly this. It's saying that he can fall into this area. Like, he, he, Mm -hmm. you know, he's got these skills, and and where he falls in, that's a really important part of scouting, too, and not just saying he's exactly right, Hawk? Yeah, that's what I talk about. I talk about the category of player. Mm-hmm. Is he a speedy winger with a with a quick shot? Is he a smart playmaking center? You know, you have anything from Peter Forsberg to Theodor Niederbach. You know, they're both sentiment. They're both smart. One guy is an elite competitor. The other guy, we're going to find out what he is. You know, but they're in a way they're in a similar category of player. They're a sentiment that that can make smart plays. Uh, one of the and, and, sorry. And, we're going to find out, you know, it, it's, I'm not, I'm not sitting there saying he's going to be Peter Forsberg, but it's a category of player that, and, and I try to do that when I, when I look at players. One of the things that we noticed was, I had some people walk in here in the, in the lounge I'm in ah. and open up the door. So you can probably hear the noise. Yeah. I'm going to move it's, to another room quickly. Hang yeah, on. No worries. I really enjoyed being on, 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 on those winning teams with Detroit, but I truly, I, I still, and I'm kind of happy that it is that way because it would be, I'd be worried if it wasn't, but I really, I think a lot more about the next draft than the previous draft. I think it's nice to see Raymond and Niederbach and Söderblom and guys playing well and Albert and all that, Jonathan Bergren, uh, but I, I, I truly, I don't, I think a lot more about the next one and, and I, I, I'm still hungry. I want to find <laughs> more players, you know, like, so that's why sometimes as you know, Stanley cup, yeah, it was beautiful and unbelievable, but it, it was a long time ago. We got to find new players. Yeah. I feel like that's probably a good attitude to have in your line of work. Like, I think that's like, if I were your GM, that's what I would want to hear personally. Um, yeah, you, you go ahead. Hakan. No, I'm just saying that that's so it's nice. You know, you remember sometimes that how it was and it was great and all that. But like I said, I, I, I never, I don't think I ever bring it up myself. People talk about it sometimes and obviously it is big, so it's nice. But, but I spend a lot of time thinking about next draft and, and the next players. That's I, I'm still really hungry for finding new players. Oh yeah. See, we, we wish we could pick your brain on some of them, but I feel like, you know, Steve Eiserman might have a, a hacker oh, take yeah. out our recording apparatus if we start getting into wrath over you. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, but I just want to mention a quick one, because Craig, when it. you said that secret missions, we in those years in Russia, I, we were trying different scouts. We couldn't find one that we really pleased with. So we had a couple of different guys work for us for a number of years. And we had one mission that one guy said, I got this player. He is big. And is he ever good? You guys got to come with me. So we hopped in a car. We drove out in the countryside, probably three, four hours. It was a beautiful Russian day, blue sky and sun, but cold as hell. And we get to this outdoor rink. And we, first of all, we get to the city. We couldn't even find the rink. And it turned out the rink was behind a huge pile of snow. So you couldn't even see the rink. They lined up so much snow that from the outside, you so we, we finally found a way in. And and warm up. There was an outdoor rink, and the kid came in, and he had skates 
They must have been size 15. We looked at them and they'd actually been built. They'd taken a skate, cut it in the middle and added a middle part <laughs> and put it back together. And the first thing he did was stumble on the blue line. He went face first in the ground and Kenny went, wow. And then they started playing and, and one guy shoot, shot the puck over the boards and it disappeared into a snowbank. And it took about 10 minutes to find the puck. They only had one puck. And the game started again. And we obviously weren't too excited about the player. And, and our Russian scout at the time, he was depressed in the car going back. Oh, he wasn't that good today. He wasn't that good. So I ended up watching the kid another a second time when I was in Russia a couple of months later. But we never ended up drafting him. But that was that is the secret mission that Kenny talks about with the most laugh in his voice. When we went out there, you ask him about that, you can for sure get him going. See, here's the thing, Hakan, those, those snowbanks weren't snowbanks. Those were actually the bleachers. And usually they have people sitting in those snowbanks. Probably, but it was just snow all around. And, and the greatest thing was that in, in, in the first intermission, we found this lady. There's always a lady, Craig, you would know that, that runs the rings and, you know, they handle it clean everything and she had a little kitchen and she would bake fresh freshly made buns and and got us some hot coffee and kenny was so excited he said this is old time hockey here we are it's outdoor game we got the freshly made buns it's coffee here this is unbelievable he was so excited <laughs> about the intermissions <laughs> see see okay this is a bit of a tangent but like I've had people ask me before as if I'm the authority on this, like, who do you think are the best scouts or whatever? And you know what the correlating factor is? It's the people who love the sport the most. Like, like hands down, hands down. It's, it's the people who go to Russia, who go to that like Arctic tundra, sit in a snowbank and get handed, uh, handed, you know, buns and coffee from the human equivalent of a Russian nesting doll and go, this is the coolest thing I have ever experienced. And, and, you know, Craig, just to loop it back, like, you know, that sort of love for the game that I'm, I'm hearing from Hakan and I'm hearing that, that Kenny Holland has, doesn't it sound similar to our last guest, uh, Robert Cron, wow. you know, just a love and appreciation for the game and all its details and all the places it takes you. Like, that's what it's about, man. Well, uh, Hawkins is sitting in a rink in Balmo and at a live game, and we talk about all the work. And, you know, one of the things that I've said this often, the scouts love to be in the arena. They love to be watching the players, assessing the players and saying, we want this guy to help our team, right? And I, I really believe that people you don't make judgments on, on, on scouts and the scouting world overall. The scouts are as dedicated and as passionate as anybody. And, and like players, some players are better than other players and some, but the dedication and the passion is, is tremendous. And, you know, I feel for, for, for the scouts that haven't been able to get out and do what they love to do. And, you know, that's something that's really, you know, I, you can't fake it, right? Hockey, you, you know, who's passionate, you know, who's working. And if you're not yeah. working and you're not passionate, you're not going to be seen very often and you're not going to be working. <laughs> oh, I agree. You know, how did you get into scouting though? That's, that's something I wanted to bring up Hakan, because, you know, usually like when we had um, Robert on last week, you know, I was doing some interview prep and, Oh, what do you know? He was drafted by my, uh, my local team, the Canucks, and he played uh, all these NHL games. And that's usually the through line in a lot of cases. But I looked at your Elite Prospects page, little plug there, uh, <laughs> and, and it's just, it, was it quite goes simple. straight to scout. I, uh, I had a coach who was super dedicated when I played, and he 
his name is Thomas Storm. He's actually quite a famous skills coach. He, he coached me when I was young, and, and one of the, his coaching buddies was Krista Rockstrom. So I got to know Krista through my coach because uh, we used to go out fishing together. I had a big passion for fishing, still do. So when I was 16, me and Krista bought a boat together. Krista, he's seven years older than me, so he would be 21. So we bought a fishing boat together, a smaller one. We kept fishing. And all of a sudden, he said to me, I, I met this guy at a game because Krista has a brother, Bjorn Rockstrom, uh, who works as an agent in Sweden. And Bjorn Rockstrom was playing junior. He was 19 at the time. I was 20. I quit playing. Uh, Krista was at his brother's game, met an, an, an North American guy in the stands watching the junior game. And because it was his brother's team, he knew stuff about the players that they couldn't see on the ice. You know, that guy, he loves to party every night. And that other guy goes to the gym all the time, blah, blah. So after the game, that, that North American guy says, hey, my name is Neil Smith. I, I'm a chief scout for the Red Wings. Would you like to work for, for us? And he was like, well, what does that mean? You know, so, so he started doing that and did it for five years. And then Neil became the GM of New York Rangers and Krista went with him. But Krista and me being good friends, he said, would you be interested in trying this job? And I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. And that's when Kenny came in. Red Wings hired me. Kenny was new as a chief scout and, and we clicked. So that's how that happened. Were you, did you not have a fishing guy business? In the summers, I used to. Yeah, I, I was a fishing. When when I when I I was twenty five when I started scouting, and I had been guiding in Norway uh, on the Salmon Rivers. I'd been to Argentina on some great rivers, southern Argentina, and and I was working for a. At the time, they were the biggest fishing and hunting agency in the world, Frontiers, based in Pittsburgh, and they were sending people all over the world. So they were going to have me work in Bahamas too in the fall. So, and then this thing came along and I had a girlfriend at the time and she said, maybe you should try that hockey thing. Then, then you might be home a little bit anyways, she said. So, so, that, so I that's, did try that's it. That's something and, you and, never hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, comparatively, maybe, I mean, I, I just, uh. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm on the road far less than most scouts and I was on the road constantly last year. It's very funny yeah. to hear that contrast. So, so Hawk, and I want to ask you about your, I, I don't think it's a new role, but it's an expanded role. Where, you, you know, where you were the director of European scouting for a long period of time and relied upon to, to turn over every stone, fish in every pond, shall we say, yeah. <laughs> right? But, but now, I mean, you, you, your scope of responsibilities is worldwide. I mean, it's, it's significant. How, 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 how different is that for you now? And, you know, how do you find it? you know being you know with, with respect to you you know having the whole scope of all players of, of, of evaluating for the Detroit Red Wings well I think it's really interesting um, it was Eisenman's idea of course he uh, he came to me and he said I need somebody we have North Americans going to Europe to see players I need somebody to go the other way just to make sure I think if I understand it correct they had some incident in tampa where one guy wasn't properly seen and ended up a little too low on the list and he just said i didn't want to risk any of that so i need a guy that goes the other way and i said i don't mind doing the job i do have a family and he said well you know what we'll hire somebody local that can cover for you because i can't scout in sweden if i'm 10 days in the u.s it's impossible so 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 we've done that we've hired another guy to 
as as kind of my bird dog or or uh, his name is Thomas Carlson. Yeah, he worked I was with Arizona. Yeah, he worked for Thomas. both St. Louis and yeah. Actually, I think he said to say hi to you. Yeah, well, say hi to Thomas too. I, yeah. I, 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 so, I have very a lot good of man. I just him. one of the reasons I hired him was when I would go to some of these funny Division One games and stuff. His name came up. I talked to the coach and said, "Has any any other scout approached you?" Yeah, there is this one guy. I think his name was Carlson. No, his name kept coming up here and there, which I liked, and that's why when he wasn't staying with Arizona, I we jumped on him, and it's been really good. Really good for us. You see how the starting works, JD, in other areas? Hawk asking the coaches. <laughs> Who else has been in here asking questions, right? Yeah. That's the that's the undercover part of the job. There's a little <laughs> bit of spy work there, it seems like, almost, yeah. you know? Well, we I always want to know what everybody else might be considering. That's you one guys of the have, things that's showing. I don't know if you heard that, Alexander Edler story. Have you heard that? No. You, you probably know what JD. I've heard, a, was it ball hockey or roller hockey, oh, was it? No, beer league, no. beer league. It was beer league. Here's what happened. The Division One is not very scouted, like I said. So I have a friend who lives up in northern Sweden, and his team is off. It's Östersund, where Ulftalén is from there, Eric right. Persson. A couple of guys, but it's really off. Most of the hockey in Sweden is along the coast. This is inland, close to the Norwegian border. So there, there's a city there by itself. I have a friend who lives there, fishing friend, by the way, who used to play. And he said, I've been to a game. Their best player is a young defenseman. So I said to him, because he came to a tournament a couple of years earlier with me, which was in that city. And he said, I want to see what you're doing. So I gave him some scouting, you know, some names, scout them and give me reports. So I realized he had some feel for it. He wasn't completely off. So I said, okay, well, let's go through this now. You remember you scouted? Yeah, yeah. So then he came back two games later and said, the kid is good. He can skate. He can handle a puck. He doesn't play that physical, but he just, he skates out to the forward and just takes the puck from them, he said. So I said, okay, find out how old he is. Well, he's an 86 born. And this was now late January. I said, I got to come up there. So I go up, watch him play and realize I like the kid. Now I'm back scratching my head. Where does he fit in? They only have a few games to go. What do I do now? I got to see him again. So here's my mistake. I call the coach and I say, my name is Anderson. I'm a scout. I'm going to drive almost seven hours to see you guys play. I just want to check if he's playing. And he said, yeah, he's playing. And after we talked, he starts to scratch his head and said, okay, maybe I should call my friend who is an agent. Because this scout just called about one of my players. He hadn't even thought about it. So before I knew it, the agent goes up, sees the game after me, makes a deal with Alexander Edler, sends out a mail and said, this kid is playing. I represent him. He only has one more game to go. We're now into late February. They're not going to make the playoffs and they're not going to have to qualify to stay. Their season's just over. And the only guy who makes it to that game is Thomas Gradin. Yeah. So if I may, and, and well, it was another story at the draft. So now we, I, Jim says to me, where do you think he fits? Well, kind of third round for me. Okay, let's look at the draft chart, he said. Vancouver doesn't have, I know Vancouver knows him. I don't think any other team even knows about him. Uh, and he said, they don't have a second and they don't have a third. They have a first and then a fourth. So, okay, are you okay with taking him in the third? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was our plan. So with about five picks to go, we have a trade to announce. Vancouver has traded for pick number 87. And we had like 93 or something. <laughs> and I said, this is Edler. If it isn't, I don't know what I'll do, Jim. And sure as hell, <laughs> he took Alexander Edler right in front of us. They knew that we were going to take him probably. 
That's hilarious. You know what the legend is now in Vancouver, Hawk? It's that uh, it's that Edler. They discovered him at a beer league game. Is how the legend has Division grown. One. You could call it a beer league, but if my, the problem was, I f***ed up. I should have asked my friend to find out if he was playing. He he knew some people on the team and everything. There was just stupidity by me. If I hadn't made that call, nobody would have known about it. And it, this was a couple of years after because I'd done the same with Jonathan Eriksson. We took him as the last pick of the draft, and that uh, I I said to Jim, Jim, he's a third or fourth round pick. I think he fits in there hockey wise. But I'm willing to bet that nobody knows about him. So we waited till the last round and we took him. And could have done the same with the other, but I fucked it up. <laughs> well, I think we all make mistakes you, you, you sometimes. Really did. You were doing your research. You were trying to find out if he was playing. You, you, yeah. just, you phoned the wrong guy who <laughs> you probably never well, anticipated. Who would have known that agent. that coach was friends with an agent? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but still, and you know who the, you know who we picked instead. Nope. You won Francian. Oh, oh, oh yeah. So, no, okay, <laughs> so yeah. I'd say it worked out decently. <laughs> but we should have had both, to be honest. Yeah. I fucked up. We should have had both. Oh, man. That kills me. I, I messed up terribly. I only drafted a first line forward. <laughs> man, I wish my mistakes were that good. Um, that that would just, wow. Uh, that's, that's really funny. Um, and now I've got a reason to sell this to Canucks fans too. They're going to love still that story. Still not that funny for me, to be honest. <laughs> I blame myself still. Oh man, I mean, that's, away. that's the yeah, game theory exactly. of the draft that, that makes it such a fun exercise to cover, right? Yeah. Um, you know, just thinking about everything you were saying about the, the, the connections and the phone calls and the secret missions, you know, yeah. what? it's uh it's a shame, obviously that John Lacare passed away, uh, generally, <laughs> but, bef- but the fact that he passed away before he could write the NHL scouts, uh, spy novel <laughs> like that, that we need that that's gotta be written. Somebody has to do that. But JD, have you seen the Russian five? I have not actually. It's must see. It's must see. It's an unbelievable documentary. I'll tell you what, John Lacari couldn't write a better story. It, it, it's, it's phenomenal. It is fantastic. And it's not just about the mystique and the mystery and, and, and the spy, everything that went with it. It was also about the philosophy. Why aren't mm-hmm. we going to try to find talent? And other people are saying, they're drafting Sergei Fedorov in the sixth round and or fourth round. Correct me if I'm wrong, Hawk, but I also believe that there was a discussion about drafting Pavel Bure later in that draft. That was the year before I worked, or two years before. Okay. And they, the, the, the big, Christopher, still to this day, he claims that he did a very thorough research and they had criteria to draft a player from Russia. They had to play in, in like it was yeah. the 10 international games or something. And the Vancouver Canucks counted a, a number of exhibition games that Christer had called the league and they said those games don't count. And so he claims till to this day that they counted the games because right away the Rangers went and said, you can't draft him. He's not played enough games. And they say, yeah, look here, he played this game. Yeah, but the league says those games don't count. So there was a there was certain criteria there, but for sure they were after him, Pavel Bure. Yeah, yeah. Imagine Federer, imagine Lidstrom in the third, Fedorov, and then Bure and yeah. Konstantinov. But I mean, it's unbelievable Jeez. the thinking that, that went into it. And honestly, it really is. And you know, again, it goes back to what we're saying. You know, and Jimmy Lights, who, who worked for the Red Wings and came to us in Dallas, I, I remember he encouraged us the same way. Listen. 
draft skill, draft talent. Like, you know what? That, yeah. They're going to be the difference. And speaking of John Le Carre, he, I, after, shortly after we drafted Koslo, he was in a big car accident in Moscow. And he had a, a possible first-round pick, a young kid who was a year older than him, in the passenger yeah. seat that died in that car accident. And Koslo disappeared. And we were wondering what the hell is going on. So I was heading into Russia. I may have gone in just for that or just for scouting. So I went to a military hospital outside of Moscow and got on the inside of the military hospital. And the guy who took me in, he was one of those fixers that Jimmy Lights had. <laughs> he said, you don't say a word. And I got to put on Russian rubber boots, military rubber boots, a big coat that went up to about here and a big hat that went down to here. So I could hardly see anything. And they carried me inside the hospital and I got to meet Kostov and just check that he was okay. And he was blue and yellow in the face. And he said, I got cracked ribs and a concussion, but I'm fine other than that. And then I went out and called back and said, he's fine. He's supposed <laughs> to be in there for another 10 days. What a story. That was a real Russian military station. Oh, there. Yeah. What a story. And he said, whatever you do, don't say anything. Just walk with me. Don't say anything. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's no JD, watch, watch the Russian five. It's fantastic. Yeah. I, I promise you I will. And I will report back for our next show. I will. Um, and you know what, uh, Hakan, I know we're getting up against it here with the game about to start, but uh, I promised Rob, uh, our producer, big Red Wings fan, uh, he wanted to get an update on Jonathan Berggren. And you know what I like about Berggren is, is Craig, I think you've made this point before, is uh, that, that it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And, and Jonathan Berggren had some, some tough years, right? And now he's doing just yeah. phenomenally. Uh, and, and you know what, that's looking like a hell of a pick. What can you say about him, his progress? Uh, you know, just well, he, a little take on him. He was a good player in junior. We took him in the second round, obviously 5'10". Some people are concerned about that. He's a, he's a great skater and a great hockey sense. And the fact that he's had the injuries now, you always worry, will they come back? You know, will it make them or break them? But the fact that he's had the injuries and now come back, I think has made him a stronger player. Definitely. He played on that. There was, a, I think, third tournament for the national team this year in February here. We'll see if he makes the world championships. But we're certainly, I mean, he's a 20-year-old and he's on the national team for the third tournament. So we're very pleased with how he's developing. And, and I, I, my feeling is, and Kroner talks to him more often than me these days, but he said too that the kid has come a long way mentally because he has to fight back from those injuries. So he's now a stronger player because of it. So obviously we have high hopes for him. I mean, he's in top five. He's the only, I think he's the only guy 20, under 25, basically, on that scoring sheet in Sweden in the top 20 names. You know? Most of them are experienced older guys. Well, Hakan, you have been far too generous with your time. Sorry, I had a mic uh, technical yeah. difficulty there. No, no, that's there. fine. It's always fun uh, sometimes it's hard getting that mute button to unstick. Um, some people would rather it stay on all the time anyway. So no worries there. But uh, we appreciate you joining the show. Uh, yeah. And just so Thanks many great stories, me. so many great insights into the the prospects that your team has drafted. And and just what a career, man. Uh, and, and I echo everything that Craig said. Like, I, I don't have the experience. I haven't spoken to as many scouts. But uh, just to, from our personal interactions, it's pretty easy to see why you're like one of the most respected people in the sport. Just just 
top class right across the board. Uh, great insights into the game. And we were really happy to have you on the program. Thanks a lot.